couple months ago, we began looking at um, the subject of our stewardship. And what was interesting is that as I pray and seek the Lord's will about the next message and so on, I never had the thought that this would go on this long. And I'm still not sure if we're done. But anyway, um, yes, we have another message on stewardship. And no, we, I guess we haven't hit everything yet. And there's something we want to look at this morning. It's a broad area that in certain ways we have touched on it, but I believe it's something we need to look at as a package today. And I want to remind you of three things about our stewardship of life. And the first thing is this. God gives us our stewardship, and every one of us has a stewardship or responsibility before God, and we'll even see that again this morning. Second, we also see that God can take away our stewardship. If we're not faithful, he just may take it away. And how? Well, that's up to him. And then third, God will withhold, God will hold us all accountable for our stewardship. So in life, that means we're going to all stand before God about our lives before him. Well, today we were going to um, look at stewardship in another way. We're going to break it down into three basic areas. And the first area ties to our birth, our existence. Someone says, well, how can that be a stewardship? <coughs> well, parents have the understanding, and you're going to teach your children this, and we want to look at it. Would you turn the Bibles to Psalm 139? Psalm 139, as we look at the subject of our birth. In Psalm 139, I want you to follow as I begin reading at verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. He says, For you... Formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. So right there it says God's working in our lives at conception. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, are all, they were all written. The days fashioned for me were as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. Now, as we look at this portion, we need to remember something, and it's this. When we were born, yea, when we were conceived, our journey began. As one came forth from the womb, a stewardship was there. And consequently, life, as it goes on, will enlarge that stewardship, and you'll see what I'm talking about. In the womb, God worked. We look around this room. How many of us have perfect 
bodies. I see a lot of glasses. There's hearing aids here. Um, there's other things. People are born with birth defects, autism, Down syndrome. That began in the womb where God was working. And he gave us those situations as a stewardship. In the womb, God made you as one who could bring glory to himself. Each one of us in the womb as we came forth were there to be used by God for his glory. No matter what the case, there is never a reason for abortion of any kind. I read recently well, by a Christian who talked about late-term abortions are bad. And I thought, what am I reading? Abortions are bad from the very onset when it can take place. God works. We must trust him. A couple of years ago, we watched a video about a guy by the name of Nick Vujicic. If you want to argue about the pronunciation, go ahead. If you remember, he was a guy born in Australia to a missionary family. When he was born, no arms, no legs. And yet, after trying to commit suicide by drowning himself in the bathtub and, and all other situations, he realized he was made for God. He came to Christ. He went around speaking. He could play different things. He could swim. I saw this morning where he said I couldn't wait to go down a water slide and watch the people as I landed and come up and say, what happened? <laughs> um, but there's a lot of things about him. But as time went on, as he grew in the Lord, he also got married and had two children. Explain it? No, I can't. But, oh, if you want to watch a guy who's gone through some stuff, you'll never feel sorry for yourself again. But he uses that to speak for the Lord. God works in each of our lives. We complain about our feet or our back or anything else. God has made us and he worked at the very beginning of our conception. In the womb, he made us the way he wanted us, boy or girl. No other options are given by God. You know that. This idea of choice or change simply comes from the pits of hell, and you know that. We often say when somebody's pregnant that it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl as long as the child is healthy. Well, if that is true, what about what we have on the screen? What about Down syndrome or autism? What we should say is it doesn't matter. I want a child that will glorify God. That ought to be the key. But you know, when we think about children, we need to realize that they were conceived in sin. David wrote about that in Psalm 100, or in 51, when he said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And he's not talking about his mother, he's talking about himself at the very time of conception. He was a sinner. 
He said, we demonstrate it when we're born. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. That tells us something about accountability and stewardship, doesn't it? Regardless of our situation, we're boys and girls who have been given a stewardship in life, and very early we need to be teaching them a verse like 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We need to be teaching that, living it, and expecting it, and being the example of it. Now you ask, how could a child do all that? Well, except for the grace of God, they can't. This is where parenting enters the picture. And you who are parents, those of us who are involved with children, need to remember a passage such as Ephesians 6. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we're here to help them, to be examples. God brings together, as we sang this morning, the family of God. And we're all involved in these things together in one degree or another. Our goal is to see children turn to the Lord. And we pray about that. At what age? That's up to God. But we need to be faithful, teaching them they were made in God's image. Sin has destroyed that. They need to turn to the Savior, a Savior that changes hearts. Even as Ezekiel said, he gives them a new heart. And to each of you, each of us, our birth is an indication that we are stewards of God and will answer to him one day, trusting it will be a blessing in heaven and not judgment, but we all will stand before him. As parents and friends, we need to help prepare uh, for that event. Our birth, our very existence itself is a reminder we are stewards before God. But time goes on. There's something else about us, not only our birth, but our very life. Would you go to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. David should have this marked in his Bible since he's used these verses this morning. But we'll look at them again. We look at a simple stewardship of life. God has given us life for him with the goal to bring him glory. Remember in Acts 17, look at verse 24. It says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, <coughs> does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He has made, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, as we look at this passage, there's three things I want you to notice here. In verse 24, it says, as creator, God is the center 
of all things. It's his earth. We dwell there. Then second, we see that God gives to all life and breath, and for that matter, all things. Why are we breathing this morning? Because a sovereign, gracious, loving God is helping you do just that. I think you've all noticed that just now, right? As you were breathing, our hearts beat. God gives it to us. As sovereign, he is sovereign over all. Verse 26, it says um, that he has made one. And look at this here. As we look at this passage, he says, verse 26, he has made from one, from one blood, one blood. We're the family of God, but we're the family of Adam. We all come from Adam, and simply put, and as you know, there is only one race, and he is over all. For various reasons, different places in the world, there's black, there's tan, we might say there's yellow, there's red, there's white. Different colors, but one race. And that goes back to Adam. And this idea of many races is false, as the idea of other religions might be good. No, no. We're all one race, just look different. We need to remember that. We see on television, the news, all this stuff about race and all it is is people getting wrapped up in their sinfulness one race but as we think about it as well look at what Isaiah tells us he says everyone who is called by my name whom I have created for my glory I have formed him I have made him we are the objects of God's creation we are stewards to him. We are accountable. And no, we have no right to set down morals or standards. God has already done that. He said this, this, and this are the way we should live. To love him, to love our neighbor. He's given us instructions throughout his word. I'm reminded of Psalm 100 that says this. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves, for we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. And we are his for him to use as he sees fit. Peter wrote in chapter 1 of his epistle. It is written, be holy for I am holy. That's how I'm to live. This idea of other options, uh-uh. Be holy, God says, to his people that he's made. Yes, he's talking to the church, but one day anyone outside of Christ is going to answer. I'm reminded of Second Peter chapter 1. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who calls us. 
the direction, a roadmap for life is wrapped up in these verses. Our life is wrapped up as God's creatures, wrapped up in the, from the womb, from the children of Adam. In his sovereign goodness, God has determined, for example, who we marry. And if we marry, how to raise children, if we have them, where and how and when to work. And by the way, since there's instructions about marriage and singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, that implies everybody won't get married. So as we look at life, God has said, this is the way it's going to go. We are part of that. And one thing we need to do is live before him. He wants us to know him and to enjoy him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a good statement. Glorify God and enjoy him. Do you do that? Is that your goal? In Matthew, we're told, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. That is how we're to be living, loving God, loving our neighbors. In the end, our stewardship of worship, of time, of money, of family, yes, vacations and everything else will fit right here in this verse. What we do the rest of the day, tomorrow, and so on and so forth, will reflect our attitude about Matthew 23. What will God see? What will others see? Our life is a stewardship God has given us and we are accountable. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to answer. You ready? Because this leads us to the last thing we want to consider this morning. And that is the subject of death. Death is a stewardship. The whole of life from birth. If I don't understand it, during life, but now we come to death. And death is something interesting. None of us have experienced it. But, I want to look at three directions here this morning. And the first is reflecting on our own death. Reflecting on our own death. It was interesting, you heard on the news this week about a guy who stole a plane, flew it for 90 minutes and crashed. Just picture a little differently. He stole a plane from Des Moines, and he flies around, 
I'm safe in my home. I've got um, Simply Safe. I've got smoke detectors. I've got this. I've got all the protection. But I've never built my house strong enough to stop a plane. Death is coming. I'm reminded in Hebrews, we read this, and it is appointed for men to die once. After this, the judgment. And I want you to notice particularly that word appointed. Appointed. If you allow me to illustrate it, I want you to picture God's calendar. Will it say he has the same calendar we have? 30 days, 30 days, 28, 429, and so on. Same calendar. And in this box right over there is my name. Oh, by the way, it's just above yours. See, it's appointed. There is a time that God has determined. And until that time, I have a stewardship to live for him. And each of us do. We have been called to live to, for him until that date. Job said something similar when he said this. Since his, that is man's, days are determined... The number of his months is with you, God. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Do you see what that says? I am going to be living here between these limits, and I can't go any further, no matter how many drugs, no matter how many surgeries. God says, I've got that time. Unless the Lord returns, we're all going to die. In light of that, look at even what the psalmist says in Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. What he's saying is we got to live right. we got to be ready. We've got a stewardship. And it even relates to death. So we need to live then. Because we're going to die. And there is a date upon the calendar. How? I don't know. When? I don't know. I remember a couple years ago, several years ago, I got a phone call about one of our missionaries from Togo. And um, they, they told me that he had taken his children and his wife to the gym and he went out and did something. He came back to pick them up. This was on a Sunday in Togo. And while he was picking him up, a couple guys opened the car door, pulled him out, machine gunned him, and stole his vehicle. That quick he was dead. 
I called Pastor George. Many of you remember him. They also supported him, and I, it was my job to call and tell him. Well, what was interesting is, like some churches, they have a telephone right up here on the platform. I don't know why it was up there. Oh, but I do. Because when I called him, it was like 10 minutes to 6 before the evening service. And when the phone rang, he picked it up, and he said, this is Pastor George. And I called him, and I told him what happened. And he said this, what? We just talked to him this morning. And everybody there heard that. They talked to him on a phone call, or whatever, what did you call that? Skype. And they talked to him. And then, that afternoon, they hear he dies. When is it going to happen to us? What's going to happen? So, that leads us to another thing. We must face death as a stewardship. We must face it that way. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Look how Paul looks at it. Philippians 1, verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all the boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I live in the context of dying, we still realize it's a stewardship. And we need to live that way. We know how temporal things are. Look at Psalm 90. The days of our lives, what? Are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Yet they boast, yet, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We're going to live to be 70 or 80, that's, but, but, we, things are going to end. They're going to end. Several years ago, we were at the conference in Lafayette, and we had Doc Smith, many of you have heard him, he spoke here even, and, um, he had, was given a note. Jay Adams was supposed to speak right after him, and Jay was having some heart trouble and couldn't come. Doc Smith read that to us, that note to the class. He put the note down and he says, he makes me so mad. He always did, I mean, he was mad. He says, he makes me mad, angry, good and angry. And He can't go before me. It just isn't fair. I want to see the Lord first. And the whole thinking just changed. But, but he realized that's where we're heading. So let's race. <laughs> that's what, really, we get to see Christ. But let me ask you a question. We have seen it before our eyes. How do we handle it? Do we want to be conscious, for example, when we're getting old and in pain <laughs> so we can minister to others, glorify Christ? Or do we want to just maybe be under a lot of medicine? What, what do we want? 
Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at how Paul writes about this, beginning at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, he's talking about the body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Good contrast there. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this body, groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. We're looking forward to heaven, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit of a guarantee. So, we are always confident, knowing that while we were at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Therefore, he said all that to get to verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present in this life or absent, to be well pleasing to him. My goal in life on this journey is to please the Lord. And when I get to heaven, my goal is to please the Lord. What about us? See, we need to realize as we head to death, it's a stewardship. How do we respond to it? How do we anticipate it? What do we see? This leads us to the third and last thing. We must be ready to minister to others who are facing death. This, yes, will include family. We must not underestimate the fear of death. Go to Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 14. <coughs> Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who, are, who through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He might destroy him with power of the death. It's going to end one day. That the whole subject of death, he's, it's going to be over. But we have to realize there's other opportunities to minister. Some fear death much because they don't want to face it. Leave me alone, somebody says. You know people who've been confronted with death and somebody goes in to talk to them. 
I don't want to hear it. But they've heard it now. We must understand the truth that is found in Revelation 20. Anyone who is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. We need to be willing to teach judgment to the person on their deathbed. We love them. We care. We remind people of the good news that Christ is real. Life and death are real. Sometimes people run from it their whole lives. But we must not be afraid to bring it up and talk about it to one who may be, be near death. We must not be afraid to discuss it, what it might include. For some, it's judgment. But we need to minister. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. There's the other side of the coin too. 1 John 3, look at verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, and that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What hope we can give. And oh, we ought to be doing that. Both sides of the coin. Like Doc Smith said, I wanted to go first. By the way, Jay Adams is still alive. Paul wrote, remember we just looked at it? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is the hope the believer has. Do you have it this morning? Say, these are real judgment hope. What do we have? Because today could be that day. Are we ready? And then one other verse, we saw it earlier, but as Paul wrote, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My wife and I have discussed more than once about how we want to die. No, not the process, but the heart attitude and what we want to show. And what an opportunity we can have. I remember the story where this man, he had several children. And he was dying. He was going to go to be with the Lord. And so his children came one by one. And he said to the first one, good night. The next one came and he said, good night. The next one he said good night. The next one came and he said goodbye. And he stopped and he looked at him and he says, Dad, all, to all the others, and he named them, you said good night. To me, you said goodbye. Why? And he said this because good night means you're going to see him in the morning. 
But I have no hope of ever seeing you again because you don't know Jesus Christ. So all I can say is goodbye. Where do we fit in that story? Where do we fit in our stewardship from birth, teaching children, to life, doing it now, and facing death? All those things can be pleasing to God. Are we? Will we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the morning you've given us to look into your word. At times it's hard to face things. The reality of life. Children, we pray that they will come to know you. That we might use our lives to please you. And even when it comes to the end of our lives, might we bring glory to you. Now guide us through the day, and might you be honored in Jesus' name.